everybody. Welcome to the Board Game Mechanics. I, I, depending on how you want to go with our numbering, we're hitting some milestones here, Jason. Uh, this is episode 78, officially. But I think we've had a few little sneaky ones in there, so I think this might be like 80. So, 80 or so. 80th or so episode, but number 78. Welcome to the show. I'm Joel. I already said his name, but say it anyway again. Hey guys, what's going on? It is Jason. Oh, Jason. Do you feel it? Uh, what is it? You feel it. You got to feel it, bud. Sure, I feel it. Yeah, I feel it. Good, 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 good. Uh, this is where if I wanted to be funny, uh, I would say something horrible that you just felt that you agreed to. Uh. But I'm I'm going to say, <laughs> do you feel it? This is a good episode. I feel it. Uh, yeah, gonna I feel have, it. We're going we're gonna to have some fun. Uh, today, we are going to do our, our typical stuff up top here, some zaniness. We're going to do some news. We're going to talk about what we played. And then we've got a really great interview with... Ted Alsbach from Bezier Games. Uh, he does a nice job talking about his story a little bit and just an upcoming game that we're, we're really enjoying. And I, Jason, yep. I, listen, you can disagree with me here. I feel like we're hitting on all cylinders right now. This, this board game mechanics thing, it's a, it's a, it's a cruising right now. So you just, if you're just hopping on with us right now, you picked a good time. I think we're hitting our stride. I think we're putting out a be- our best product we've ever put out. Uh, man, lots of videos coming out. This podcast comes out every week, and it's and you know some weeks. Listen, you can skip the fifties. The episodes in the fifties, you don't have to listen to those because those are bad. Um, but now we're putting out good episodes every week. We're having a good time. We're enjoying it, having a lot of fun. Yeah, we're on the interstate cruising along in a sixty-five. Cruise is set at sixty-four, so we don't Ooh. get pulled over. That's the way I like to roll. You live in Ohio, after all. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> in Indiana, you just you do nine over, and like you're good. The cops don't even look twice. I'm totally kidding to the police officers listening right now. I would never endanger the public safety <laughs> by speeding, ever. Uh, actually, I, I, yeah, I, I have a theory. I, like, I, I have a, I have a kind of sporty sedan, and um, it just cost me lots of money to get the engine replaced on it. That's all. Um, but the speedometer is like five miles per hour faster than it's really going. So I, I've decided that I think that was by design so that like you feel like you're going faster than you really are. So you're going 55, it shows 60. So you feel like you're being productive and going, <laughs> going good and fast. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it's true, but anyway. Uh, so this, this week, Jason, we've got we've to gotta do our, our new thing we're doing here. This will be the third week in a row. This is the longest we've stuck with one of these weird things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're going to stump Jason here, guys. We always do this up top, always for the last two weeks. Now this one's the third week. Yeah. Jason, this is a game where we're going to – this week we're going to take worker placement games. And I'm going to I'm gonna ask you which one you think is older. Okay. All right? Okay. Jason, here we go. First one. Right. I'm going to start with something really easy. Uh, Kalis. Kalis. Okay. Or Viticulture Essential Edition. Super easy, right? Kalis, yes. Yeah. So what do you think, Kalis? What year? Um, 2002. Y- yeah, 2005. Oh, okay. And, and Viticulture? 2010. Essen- Essential Edition. Essential no, edition. Uh, 14. 15. So uh, if I would have told you Essential Edition, it would have been like the easiest question probably ever. Um, all right, next one. We're going to get tougher, Jason. Okay. Stone Age versus ooh, how hard do I want to be on you? Stone Age versus Zolkin. Stone Age. Yeah. Uh, a lot closer on that. The last one was a ten year spread. Now we're down to a four year spread. So with me telling you it was a four year spread, 
How how good's your deductive reasoning? Can you figure out what year Stone Age came yeah, out? Yeah, Stone Age had a 10-year anniversary edition. Oh. So that was 2009. So that would mean Zulkin's 2013. I sort of feel like you're cheating right now by, by knowing that. <laughs> well, I'm not looking at anything. No, it was 2008. <laughs> it was 2008. So this, the 10th anniversary came out last in 2018. Year. And it was 2012, which was the year the Mayan calendar ran out. Uh, yeah, that's true. When we should all be dead. Yeah. All right, Jason. One of my favorites, one of my overall favorites of all time, uh, that you and I have never played because we just haven't. Alchemist. Okay, Alchemist. Okay. Russian railroads. Ooh, that is a tough one. I'm gonna go with Russian railroads. Is the older game or the newer game? The older game. Yeah. What year do you think Russian Railroad rail, uh, railroads came out? I don't even think it's that old. I'm going to say like 2012. 13, real close. And Alchemist 2014. All right, last one, Jason. We're going to do a doozy here. A game that doesn't get talked about nearly enough because it's so good and it's just not talked about anywhere nearly enough. Kingsburg. Okay. All right. You with me on that? That's a good game. Needs to be talked about more. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Dominant Species, another game that no one talks about anymore. Oof. Um... That's tough. I have no idea. I'm going to go with Dominant Species only because it looks older. It does. It looks so old. But if GMT put out Dominant Species today, it would look the exact same way. <laughs> That's so, true. <laughs> Dominant Species, 2010. Kingsburg, 2007. Wow, that's crazy, dude. Two out of three, though, Jason. Pretty good, man. And how'd you guys do at home? Uh, that's our password this week. I did better than Jason. Hashtag. And we'll know you're lying. <laughs> so tell the truth. Say, Jason beat me. Hashtag. All right? But to put the hashtag in the front so like people can track it and stuff. Um, that is something we used to do more. If you're new to the show, we used to do passwords like towards the end of the episode. So if somebody listened all the way through, we'd give them a high five, a virtual high five if they told us the password. So we haven't done that one in a while, but uh, that's where the password came th- thing came from. We're, we're getting into our show lore, Jason. It's kind of kind of important. Yeah, that it is. Enough with that because everyone here has been using the hashtag Jason's Frugal Corner. It's been super anticipated. <laughs> so anticipated that Jason forgot about it up until about two hours ago. I did. <laughs> so, Jason, what did you find? What's in Jason's Frugal Corner this week? All right. So, um, I wanted to find a game that has um, maybe an older edition or just a super awesome gameplay that you can get on BGG used for a good price. So, I picked... Vino's first edition. Surprise. So, yeah, the What's Your Game or Rio Grande, whichever version that you have. Because there's the fancy Eagle Griffin version, which is like $89 on BGG. And you can get Vino's first edition for 30 So you can say $59 for the same gameplay. It's not going to look as nice. I mean, that's subjective. But if you want to play the game and you don't want to spend a ton of money, Vino's first edition. So Vino's first edition came out in 2010. When did Vino's second edition come out? Which one's newer? 2016 is the newest one. Because <laughs> it's, you know, a, 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 it's a second edition. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, no, I have the second one. And I have played the 2016 version a couple times. And it was with people who, like, I would play that or Viticulture with them. And I didn't quite remember all the rules to Viticulture off the top of my head. So we played that one instead. If I had my choice, I would play 2010 every time. So I think that you're right on that one. Um, I go back and forth on the 2016 being good and bad. I, I do like it. The 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 wine fair is kind of fiddly, but to be honest, 
for the price of like the difference in the price. I mean that that Eagle Griffin version hardly ever is cheaper than eighty nine bucks. I mean like that's just the price, and so that fifty dollar plus price difference. You can buy a couple games in there, and I I think this frugal corner is going to be a popular segment because if you're buying cardboard, man, like I don't care who you are, you got to have a budget and a pace. So we all want to make those dollars go stronger uh, and and go longer. So Jason, we're going to break the internet because here's what's happening right now. <laughs> all right, I have a pick for for Jason's frugal quarter. Ooh, corner. nice. Uh, I'm I'm Joel of Jason's frugal corner. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 segment inside the podcast inside the podcast because really this is a meta podcast about the like Columbus Blue Jackets really um, my pick Kalis there's a copy right now probably gonna get snagged up fifteen bucks that's a pretty good deal uh, for wow. a really great old crunchy worker placement game that is the granddaddy of worker placement it's really respected um, and it's just darn mean sometimes so uh, Kalis a mean dry dry euro game uh for 15 bucks and that that sucker was selling at msrp for 60 bucks like not long ago when i got reprinted so i feel like that's a pretty good pickup myself um so anyway i don't think we'll do this one every week but i think when jason finds a great deal we'll put a jason's frugal corner up top here because i think people want to know deals they want to know what we think is a good buy yeah, I agree. Is that uh, the Kalis, the $15 one, is that the first printing or the second printing? Or the third real printing? ugly, ugly first printing, Jason. You would love better. <laughs> nice. I don't think there is a good looking printing of Kalis, honestly. Like, yeah, it's that terrible king on all of them, I think. Yeah, but I think the first one's like Mayfair Games or something, and it's like, yeah, it's that real, real thick, thick boy matte cardboard in there. So I think <laughs> that's the kind you like, man. Yep, I do like that. So you, let me clarify that there was a copy for fifteen dollars until Jason. <laughs> here's the other pro tip too. Jason told me this part. This is Jason. If, listen, if I've learned anything from you, it's this: <laughs> message the guy on the marketplace and say, "Listen, will you do your price shipped?" And then they counter and they usually ship it for like five bucks. So yep, that's a good that's a good way to go. So anyway, yep, that's what I do every time. <laughs> I know you do, and like it's worked for me a few times. I'm like, listen. Will you ship it for this or do it shipped for this? And they're like, mm, I'm going to come up with $2 because I feel like I have to win. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, so you basically get free shipping. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, it works out pretty well. All right. Well, cool. That was Jason's Regal Corner. And and so the one person out there who just dies to hear our news, uh, it's coming up right now. All right. So I have two things I want to talk about on news. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. But um, because you're a little insulted by what I just said, I think, I, Jason, I know you work hard on the news. It's good, man. I like it. <laughs> no, it's all good. I just want to get to the games that I played because I played some good stuff. Um, so the first game I wanted to talk about is a new Roland Wright from Queen. It is the Copenhagen Roland Wright. So they just put out Copenhagen and then they felt the need to put out a Roland Wright version of Copenhagen. Ugh. And um, this is on Kickstarter now. It's 20 bucks. It has eight days and it probably shipped out yesterday. So if you want that game, go pay 20 bucks and you'll probably have it by the time you listen to this podcast. Okay, Roland Wrights are a product of marketing. I'm going to 100% say that right now. And I know that there have been people on this show recently who are big into the Roland Wrights and are banking on them being awesome and cool, good for you. But why wouldn't you be if you were a publisher? Like you're basically telling people, hey, buy this notepad, tiny golf pencil and six dice for 30 bucks. <laughs> Like they're making 
so much money on each of these games, I'm sure it's all marketing. Like, yeah. I promise this game is good. It's a quarter of the full game, and you're really going to love it. Like, this roll and right thing has got to quit, man. And I, I'm like, I'm going to – listen, we need a new soundboard. Which one of these buttons is going to be Joel's hot take right now? <laughs> that one. <laughs> Rolling rights can go away because listen, like seriously, it's a profit making thing for the publishers. I, I really think that. Like they sell a notepad, golf pencils, and eight die, and we pay thirty bucks for it. So anyway, Jason, you better edit this edit this show because I'll chicken out and edit that out. So anyway, that's my hot take for this week. Oh, it's staying in. I ate a bunch of dairy before we get the show. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally agree with the rolling right stuff. I mean. Good, yeah, good for the publishers milking cash out of people for a few dice and some papers, but I'm just not into it. I listen. There's just a couple of rolling rights that I'm like, this is so bad, and like the fact that people are like hyped about it. I was like, are you kidding me? And I, I got something in my throat here. Rerooting, rerooting. Never mind. Um, my throat there. Um, you're not the only person that has said that. Surprisingly. So, uh, at any rate, um, whatever. I, I guess I don't want to worry about having having to do reviews for publishers anymore. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll move on. We'll get you, we'll get us get ourselves out of this hole. Um, hey, Jason, it's me. I'm here. Where did you do the show with somebody else up to this point? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's oh, go- no, he's, he's gone now. Did my brother Jeff get in here again? <laughs> He said his name was Joel, and I just went with it because you guys sound an awful lot alike. Oh, was he? Was he being a real nasty man talking bad about the publishers again? Yeah, he said that oh. you really you really liked Rolling Rights. I'm pretty sure I do love him. I, he doesn't. I don't think. I think he's involved with some kind of conspiracy theory about how he thinks they're just a profit making machine. But not me. I am a good boy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so next game in the news is second printing of Dinogenics. And yeah. this is 68 bucks, 19 days to go. There's an expansion available if you're into that. And it also has upgrades if you already own the first edition. So I don't know a ton about Dinogenics. I know it's like a, an, a lighter version of like Dinosaur Island. At least that's what I've heard. I haven't watched a ton of stuff on it. But if you like dino games and you and Dinosaur Island's too heavy, maybe go check out this one. Yeah. Also, uh... 68 bucks on that one, 19 days to go. I think you covered that. But the uh, the Dinogenics Rollin' Right game on Kickstarter 2 <laughs> has 19 days to go. $54 for that one. Uh, <laughs> if you roll six eggs, you get to put an X on your notepad. So it's real sweet. So Je- Jeff, is that you? <laughs> Jeff, get out of here. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, s- seriously, though. I mean, like, so many Rollin' Rights coming out right now. It's kind of silly. <laughs> Some of them are good. Some rolling rights are good. You can at me at at Jason <laughs> at Board Game Mechanics. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure Jeff gets that email. <laughs> no, some rolling rights are fine. I love Harvest Dice. That's a good one. Uh, Kokoro is that what it's called? That one's that one's pretty okay. Um, Welcome to is pretty good, but like I, it's just like anything else, man. It's not just board games. Something hot hits, and then everyone imitates it. So I mean, I know that there were those pretty decent ones there, and then like honest to goodness, I'm thinking like a publisher right now. If I see that these guys are selling a notepad and some golf pencils, like I'm gonna jump on that too. So I don't blame them. 
So I'm just not into it. I'm not buying them. So anyway, yep. and this just... is Joel, not Jeff. I mean, like I listen, publishers, you do you. I'm not gonna be all judgy like Jeff. So yeah, um... hashtag Jeff is real. <laughs> Yeah, and Jeff wants to hear what games we played, so let's just get ahead and on to that. Hey, wait, before we do that, Jason, I know you're really anxious to do that. <laughs> Listen, so much dairy, Jason, so much. Um, I want to mention Robinson Crusoe, uh, Curse on Despair Island, I think is what it's called, uh, is is a little itty-bitty card game. I put a review up for it forever ago, and it was embargoed. Oh, man, embargoes are funny. Um, and then... And then uh, and are then they? Just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to the games played section. Uh, anyway, um, man, that's such an inside joke for us. That was a little treat for Jason and Joel. Um, <laughs> but that game's actually really fun. It's push your luck and card drafting. So it's like you get a draft cards from what you what you pushed your luck to get out of the pile. So you're getting more choices if you push your luck more. And then also people can buy cards out of what you pushed your luck to get in your like choices. So if you push your luck to get eight cards out. You take one of them, you take the best of the eight cards for you, and then they can buy cards from you for like, you know, by paying a cost. So um, so it's actually really cool. Push your luck, followed by drafting. And it's just a cool combination of, of the mechanisms. And then it's got really cute art in it, and I think it's pretty cheap. So it's on Kickstarter right now. I have a video up for it. I really enjoyed that one, actually. So I wanted to give them a shout real quick. Um, so that's it, Jason. We can go to Games Played now. All right, I'm super pumped about this. Um, I got. I just looked at my audacity, Jason, and I've been recording this whole time. I was pretty pretty hopeful I wasn't recording this whole time, <laughs> but I have been. <laughs> I'm glad you were because then we had to do it again. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, so I got a game in the mail that I was super excited about, and I actually forgot I was being sent. And it is from Keymaster Games, and it is called Parks. Mm. Um, so I know you backed this game on Kickstarter, and you haven't gotten yours yet. Yeah, so my teeth are grinding a little right now. Yeah, I don't know why I got mine. I, maybe they're just really nice and wanted to send me a game because I'm such a such a great person. Dude, thought, you are the Keymaster mascot, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's not like I'm allowed to do a review of this or anything. I can't post it on YouTube or anything. Do when do you think if you had to guess when reviews of this game might come out, when would you guess that would be? Um, maybe like the 22nd of July. Oh, cool. Just a guess. Rumor has it in a dark spot on the web. Upwards of 10 people were able to watch a review of this early. <laughs> it was 13, exactly. <laughs> okay, so enough of that. Um, so I played Parks. Seriously, though, Keymaster's <laughs> been awesome to us, and we're sorry yeah. that like we broke the embargo. Yeah. Like, And I'll, I'll, I'll stand with you on that, Jason. Like, we, we just, we goof. We done goofed, and you guys have been awesome to us, and we're sorry. And on the 22nd, there will be a very good video up. You should go watch it. Yeah, I think they might have already watched it, but yeah, you guys should watch it. Um, Parks is um, it's a really light game, but the production quality is probably some of the best production I've seen in a game ever. It's incredible. It has game trays. It has um, awesome tokens of water droplets, suns, mountains, and trees. It has wild tokens that are all shaped like individual wild animals. There's not a single duplicate, and all what? they are is, is wild tokens. I'm super stoked about getting my copy of this now. Oh yeah, it's awesome. It, um, I got a mat with mine. You have, to, you have to buy that separate normally, but the mat completely unnecessary. But it looks amazing on the table. So what you're doing in this game is you have these two little hikers. You're moving along this trail and you're trying to collect tokens and uh, convert some of your tokens into maybe other tokens. Get some gear to help you 
on your journey through the trail. Maybe get a canteen, because if you can fill the canteen with water, you can get some more tokens. And what you're trying to do is walk all the way to the end of the trail to visit these parks, which means you're going to cash in tokens to take these park cards for some points. You're going to do that over a series of four rounds, and whoever has the most points is the winner. Uh, Along the way, you can take pictures of the scenery if you cash in some tokens. It's really zen and laid back, has like the Takedo movement, where once you move so far ahead, you can't go backwards. So if you're into light games that look really nice and are really fun, and check out Parks from Keymaster. 100% I back this one because I like trekking in the national parks. That's a really good game. Um, review of that of, of that up on our YouTube. Um, and it's there's not a lot of reviews of it. It's actually a really good game. Uh, the second edition came out last year. And it's 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 rock solid. But my wife and I like went on a big trip to the national parks. And the art in this looks so good that I was just like, I've got to get this. And like it, the lighter the better to get my wife to play a game. So I think it's going to be a big hit with her. Um, and that's that's great for me. So like I am super excited about this. Um, I saw there was a possible Gen Con pickup and I don't think it's going to quite work out. So, um, I'm just, I'm really anxious to get this one. And, uh, the folks at Keymaster, like in all sincerity, we, we love your like relationship with us. Like you guys have been great to us. And we, I think hopefully we're good to you guys when you didn't have parks and all these hot games. So thank you for the work you've done with us. And if you're listening, um, we, I sincerely mean that. And I sincerely mean that I didn't get the mat with what I kickstarted and my birthday is the first week of August. So, um, <laughs> that's, that's all. Um, <laughs> oh, that's funny. So palace of, of Matt King Ludwig is the one I want to talk about. Jason, um, this game, man, it just fell off quick. So I don't know what happened there. I saw it like on every local game shops, like spotlight rack. When you walk in, it was like, I think it was just a really pretty box maybe. And and it was there for like a month. And then all of a sudden it went straight from there to like the bargain bins. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Um, like, I guess maybe not quite bargain bins, but like, it's just, you don't hear people talk about it that much. And it's a really good game. Um, I got a chance to play this one uh, with my wife, actually. So that was pretty great. And basically, I don't know how much you know about this one, Jason, but it's a tile laying game. But instead of having the strange shapes, you just have squares. And you aren't paying for the placement of the of the, of the tiles. You you are, but you aren't. Like you can get free tiles, but you're you're cashing the tiles in. Like the way how they connect and get rewards. You're trying to collect swans, and the more swans you can get of a color, the more points you're going to get at the end of the game. So you're collecting swans is basically what you're trying to do to to score points. But then you pay swans in order to get the tiles sometimes. So and then you can get like player power. So if you take a turn to put some some tiles in certain places on your player board, then you get discounts on the tiles, so you get more choices for tiles. Um, but the other really interesting thing too is that you're actually playing on you're building one huge palace so that feeling you get of like i built something kind of cool in castles of making ludwig like you get that more so because you're putting all the tiles into one big piece of work and then you put the moat around the outside edge of it too and that's kind of like the timer on it that eventually when some of the stacks of when some of the stacks of rooms run out you start putting moat tiles down and so once it gets to the spot where you can't put any more tiles down in the game the game's over um or you could exhaust some other things to potentially have the game be over but um, it's just really neat because when you're done, you have this really cool palace, um, fun looking tiles in it. Not quite as fun as between two castles, but really nearly as good. Um, it's not just, it's just not as like detailed and silly. It's still really cool art. Still really good, but, um, just, just a good game, a really good game. Um, I enjoy it a lot. If you like suburbia and castles, like the other Ted Allspot games that involve tile placement, I think it feels enough like that, that you'd enjoy it as well. Um, and I'll tell you this right now, if you asked me to 
play Carcassonne and there was a copy of this on the shelf, you would have to probably pay me money to get you to play to play to play Carcassonne over it because this is just such a better toweling game than than Carcassonne to me. I mean, I respect Carcassonne for being the f- kind of first toweling game like that. Um, but this one just is so much more fun to me, um, because it has a few extra mechanics in it and stuff. So, um, really love it. Palace of Mad King Ludwig. <laughs> That's funny. The whole time you were talking, I thought you were talking about Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. And I was like, I've played that game and none of this sounds right. And then I got yeah, to looking at it. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. this is different. <laughs> right. Cause the game kind of just dropped off. Like, I don't know what happened. So. Um, at least locally it did. I mean, like, and I don't know of anybody who plays this game and is like, man, I love that game. Like, I, like, I, I honestly am like one of the few people I know have played it and I think it's really good. So, um, I mean, if you can find a copy and play it, do it. Cause it's, it's worth playing for sure. So you like this better than between two castles? Uh, it's different. Like there's not as many things to think about in this game. Um, this one's a little like just more relaxed and lighter. I would say like the scoring on it is probably a little more straightforward um, because there's like just certain like checklists you're trying to like achieve to get points. And then there's like a little diagram on the bottom. So it's like you get sets of swans to get certain amounts of points. So it's like a set collection thing almost too. And certain rooms let you exchange swans and other rooms let you collect certain color swans, but you're trying to get these little swan tokens to score points is a large way to do it. Um, But then also build certain kinds of rooms and things. So it's, it's, I think a little more straightforward out of the scoring. Like, whereas between two castles, you're always thinking, like, what are we doing here again? And you got two castles you got to keep track of. Um, on this one, it's just much more simple. And this one's, it's it's weird to f- say, but this one just feels more grand because you have this big old board you're putting in the middle of the table and it's just filling up and making this huge palace, like one palace that you're, that you're building. And so uh, I think it's pretty neat. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I bet I like it better than Cat Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig because I thought that game was a turd. But Katie likes it, so Oh Jason. Yeah. I, I just I don't I don't like it. I like that one too. But but uh, I, I get it. You I don't can't. it feels like a co op game and you know how I feel about the co op games, so Yeah, you don't like to play nice with others. This one you definitely don't have to. <laughs> you actually can punish people and be mean and nasty. So I think you'd like it quite a bit more. Um yeah, I think that's fair. You'd like it quite a bit more, honestly. Cool. Um, huh. Uh, wow, that's that's the hottest take anyone's had this whole show, that you don't <laughs> like uh, Between Two Castles. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Again, thank you all you for, for fast-forwarding the first 10 minutes of this episode, uh, as the title <laughs> of the episode was. Please fast-forward 10 minutes into this episode. <laughs> all right, so the second game I want to talk about is a really super light game. Plays in about 15 minutes. And I can't remember the publisher and Kami or something like that. And this game is called Draftosaurus. This game was super popular at Origins. It sold out really fast. And what this game is, is it's a drafting game. But instead of cards, you're taking dinosaur meeples out of this bag. And you're keeping a dinosaur to put into your dinosaur pin. There are like six different areas on the pin, on the on on your board that you can put these dinosaurs. You're trying to put them in pairs. You're trying to put one on your board that you think you're going to have more than everybody else of. You're trying to put one on your board that you may only have one in your pin. You're trying to get one pin that has every single different kind of dinosaur and then one pin that has every kind of dinosaur. You're going to do it over two rounds of six dinosaurs each round. So you're going to place 12 dinosaurs total. And whoever has the most points is the winner. There's a beginner game and an advanced game. They're both pretty light. But if you're in the market for a, su- uh, a drafting game and you don't want to play Sushi Go or you don't want to play Seven Wonders, 
I would say check this one out. Draft a source. Yeah, it sounds like you love it because it's like a drafting game that has that draw things out of a bag, like that good cherry tree game you love so much. <laughs> I do love drawing stuff out of a bag. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, cool. Uh, I don't know much about this one um, other than you have covered it a little bit and I think you like it. So, cool. Yep, it's fun. Uh, this next game I don't think most people know much about, and uh, we're actually going to hear a little more about it in the upcoming interview, so I won't talk a ton about it, but uh, it's called Silver, and it comes out at Gen Con. Uh, it's from uh, BZA Games as well. Um, it's almost like a theme, a theme show for me this this week. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's really cool. It's I mean, it's a werewolf game. Um, which we don't what? ever reference. It is, the, yeah. We don't ever <laughs> reference that in the interview because I think maybe it's a given that uh, Ted Allspock's games are about werewolves. Now. <laughs> um, but but it's a it's a werewolf game. Uh, it's it's super cool. I I can't think of any other games like it, and that's why I think it's so cool. Like it's just something genuinely different. So what you do is you have this stack of cards, shuffle it up real good, put five cards in front of each player face down. And then you put the draw pile in the middle, flip over the top card. Now you get to look at two of your cards and then put them back face down. And the game starts and the game starts going. And you either can swap out the discard for a card in your tableau. Um, and that's going to flip a card over uh, face up that it was face down by putting it in the discard and taking a face up discarded card to put in your tableau. Or you can play a card, draw a card from the uh, draw a card from the draw pile, and then it probably has a, a discard effect on it. And the only time you get to use this discard effect is when you draw it from the draw pile. So it's like you're drawing from this draw pile, and then you've got to decide what am I going to do with this. And you can swap it out for a card that you may not know what it is. You can do the draw effect on it, and when you draw it, like get a, a, a kind of unique effect. So like the effect might be um, flip over two of your cards. Well, maybe you have two of your cards that. Um, well, you really don't want people to know what your cards are, so that wouldn't make much sense. But like, you have two cards, you don't know what they are, so you're just going to flip them over. And then the final kind of interesting thing about it is you can discard pairs of cards or, or more, than two, more than two of a kind of a card. So if you get a few of the same card, you can ditch them, get rid of them uh, to the discard pile, and it take just take one card back in its place. So um, the whole point of this game, though, is you want to try and get as few points as possible because points represent werewolves in your village. So you want to have as few werewolves as possible. And so once you get to a spot where you feel like you have a really low score, you can you can end the round by saying call. And then the round ends. Everyone else gets one turn but you. So you're kind of handicapped. So everyone else gets an extra turn probably but you uh, to try and pare down their cards and try and do one little bit of something before the game's over. And then if you hit, if you said call, if you called for the end of the game and you have the fewest points, you get zero points. If you don't have the fewest points, then you get your points that you had plus 10. You play four rounds of that. Whoever has the least points at the end of it wins. And we're going to talk more about it in the interview here, but there is, it's going to be a series of games. They're testing the first six games of this already. So the first two are coming out this year, Silver and Silver Bullet coming out at Gen Con and Essen respectively. So I really enjoy this game just because it's, really different i mean it's like it's like they found he found a way to play a deduction game um like a secret hidden identities deduction game with two players and it kind of has a little feel of that so um i really enjoy it i enjoy it quite a bit actually i'm not sure if i'm going to be going all in on all six of the uh upcoming decks 
or not all in on it, but I do like it quite a bit. Um, and I will have a review of this one up real soon. And I'm going to go ahead and just say this right now. Um, Ted, Ted Osbach interview coming up after we get done right here. Um, he mentioned that there's an app coming out. It'll be out by the time this episode is up. So if you want to check this out and preview this game a little bit, it should be in the iOS uh, app store uh, that you can get a two-player version of this game in the app store. So um, pretty cool. Uh, overall, I really liked it. Silver. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I I think he has interesting ideas on some of his games. I don't really like Werewolf, just not my style, but this one sounds neat. And doesn't it have artwork from the, the Miko or whatever his name is? It's really good artwork, and it looks like computer-generated 3D artwork. Oh, so, okay, I, I right. mean, it's it's really good artwork, and I'm not sure. It could be from him. I thought it was um, like, I just don't know. like the Raiders of the North Sea. Yeah, it does. It looks like that. Okay. Yeah, cool. it looks just like that style. Like, it's it's really good art. Um yeah, it's it's pretty well done. And then the other kind of cool thing too is every box you get. So there's game trays in the base game that's going to hold the cards for a while. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be like Smash Up where you have to get a bigger box eventually or something. But every one of the games comes with like a little like trinket, like plastic trinket, like a prop that you use. And there's a bunch of different like little props you can use between rounds. So like the silver bullet, it kills one of your cards, so it doesn't count. And then there's the silver like amulet that like protects your. Uh, card so like if you put that silver silver like talisman or something on your card it can't be stolen from you it can't be destroyed so if you get a real low value card because again we're trying to go low values you can protect it with that so those are the two that are out at this point or not out but that are being uh put out in the media right now so uh this is one's really cool though and i think it'll probably be pretty inexpensive it's a pretty small game cool yeah i might have to check that one out yeah it's pretty fun So, Jason, I got a chance to sit down with Ted Osbach, and I am being a real fanboy this episode, I think, but um, he was really fun to talk to. And uh, I guess without really saying much more, let's just get right into the interview. I'm here with Ted Osbach, uh, and so I'm going to mispronounce your company's name because I used to be in like engineering, and when I went to CAD school, like the guy said Beezier because he was pretty uneducated. But from, from Bezier Games, uh, I have Ted here. So... Um, I guess you guys might know him from, oh man, he has so many good games out there. Uh, I, I, I own 10 games of yours, uh, just off the top of the bat here. I have Palaces, Castles, Suburbia, Werewords, uh, one, one, one Night uh, Daybreak, One Night Werewolves, uh, One Night Vampires, uh, and then one that's called You Suck that I don't think a lot of people know about, but I really <laughs> like that game. It's a tick-ticking game, so uh, pretty cool little game also. So um, welcome to the show, Ted. Uh, glad to have you on. Hey, it is great to be here. Thank you. So I guess the thing that uh, people are generally pretty curious about when we first start doing one of these interviews is we kind of want to know where did you come from? What what got the wheels turning for you? What made you into board game design and kind of eventually a publisher and kind of the, the industry giant you are now, I guess? So, yeah, I mean, you know, like like most people, like guess in the industry, you know, I've been playing games since I was, I was little, all sorts of the traditional sorts of games that you play, Stratego and Scrabble and everything else. And uh, lots of D&D in high school and, um, you know, just continued to play games throughout and video games, board games, pretty much all the games you could possibly play. And, uh, you know, that, that was always kind of in the background, always something I was doing. Um, as a kid, I did some game designs and, and I use that word in quotes because they were atrocious, horrible things that you should not even, you know, make your worst enemy suffer through. Um, you know, but of course, I tried to have my parents play and that sort of thing. 
but you know, it was never anything that I took seriously. It was more like, hey, this would be kind of fun if we did this and you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so, so there was always, I guess, that little spark there um, for designing games and trying to figure out new mechanics and patterns and things. And uh, eventually, I ended up um, working at Adobe Systems, and uh, I had written some books on Illustrator and Photoshop and things like that. So I kind of knew my way around graphics. And uh, they they put me in charge of uh, Illustrator, so Adobe Illustrator. And so I was the, I was the product manager for Illustrator, and then eventually the group product manager for the Illustrator products and for the Creative Suite a few years later. And uh, so I was using all those products, and I was doing a lot of things. And it's funny, if you look, uh, some of the, the books I had been writing during that time, uh, they, they actually have lots of the images there are basically games that I was developing, that I was using <laughs> Illustrator to do the design for. Um, and, you know, they're, they're anything from like Scrabble Monopoly knockoffs to, you know, just totally custom things that I was working on. And so, you know, it was always, it was one of those things that I loved graphics. I loved design and just to be able to, uh, you know, kind of noodle around with games at the same time was, was, yeah, that was, that was a really nice thing for me. And it kind of just came naturally. I didn't really think about it. Just kind of fell right into that. And, uh, you know, that I would say, the early 2000s or so, I started to think more about really, you know, getting a game published or, or you know, really seriously thinking about game design. Certainly not as a career, but, you know, something I do on the side or every once in a while or something because I love the hobby so much. Uh, sure. I submitted some games to some different publishers. Um, I have a horrible, horrible prototype. I submitted to Cheap-Ass Games because I, I love their <laughs> stuff. I love Kill Dr. Lucky and Lord of the Fries and all those things. Um, and, uh, I'm very, very embarrassed. I met James Ernest, the owner of, of that company a few years later. And I apologized to him. He didn't remember. He was very, very kind. I sent him this, this prototype and it was horrible. It's called road rage. And it was like a roll and move. It was, it was gross. Um, and he sent me such a nice note back saying, no, you know, at this time that does not, that doesn't fit what we're doing is really, really nice and encouraging. Um, another uh, thing I, I was, I was living in the Bay area, which is where days of wonders headquarters, the, their U S headquarters was located. And, uh, you know, I had contacted them through their website saying that I'd like to, you know, pitch them a couple of games and give them an overview. And one of the, the owners of the company, Eric, um, he contacted me not necessarily because of the games, but because we both had worked at similar tech companies. And he was like, oh, this will be well, if nothing else, we can you know reminisce about this company that we both worked for years ago. And so I get in their office and, uh, and I have these games with me and I'm all excited because it's the Days of Wonder office, which, of course, you know, everyone thinks, wow, that must be like some great high rise in the middle of Silicon Valley or something. And instead, it was the office in a second floor uh, build of a, of a building. And it was like basically a two room office. There were four people in the office. Um, and I was the, the fifth person, actually, that was there that day. And I sat down and showed them these games and I made them suffer through some of them. And again, super, super nice. And you, you find that pretty much in our industry that. Most people are incredibly, incredibly nice, and they're they're nice to both folks who are trying to break into the industry, uh, other folks in the industry. And it's just a, a really, really great set of people. But they were super nice to me, um, even though what I had was not fantastic, although it was getting better. And uh, you know, sent me away, and I actually made some friends that way, and it was kind of nice to get to know some people in the industry. And uh, one of the designs there ended up being my first published game, which was called Seismic. And, uh, you know, originally it was supposed to be a two-player game. The company that published it, Atlas Games, turned it into a four-player game, which it kind of worked um, for that because they, don't, they didn't think they could sell just a two-player game. Turns out they couldn't sell a two- to four-player game. That doesn't work that well <laughs> for three or four players. But, you know, eh, 
whatever. It was still, it was pretty exciting. It was my first published game. So that came out. And then uh, when that happened, I realized a couple things. I realized, first of all, they didn't really do much to the game that I didn't already do. I actually did all the graphic design for the game. I had written the rules. Um, you know, I all I did was basically, you know, change it to make it work with three and four players. And so I'm thinking, you know, yes, they, they put up the capital to get the thing printed and did the investment in it. But outside of that, there really wasn't a lot of game development going on. And I know some publishers will. Some pu- publishers are much more heavy-handed. They'll go in there and they'll take a design that someone gets and they'll massage it and tweak it and change it. And it can be barely recognizable sometimes by the time it comes out. Other Others will just actually take what you've given them and go, you know what, this looks great. Hit the print button and you've got copies of games. Um, at the time, though, I did not realize that. I thought pretty much all publishers were just going to take what I gave them and print them. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, I, I don't want to waste money, but at the same time, it seems to me that, you know, that this could be a viable thing to do on the side, you know, just print a small number of these things. I could probably, you know, um, you know, get, get them marketed enough and sell them and uh, be a little successful at that. So I started my own company, which was Bezier Games, and uh, that was back in about 2006 or so. And uh, I mainly started publishing really small things. Uh, Start Player was our very first game, which is a card game. And uh, that was a collectible. Well, I just called it a semi-collectible card game um, because it really wasn't that collectible. There were only so many cards you could get and whatever. But uh, you know, the idea behind it was you just had yeah. a deck of cards. You turn over a card and it says, hey, you know, the player with the most pockets goes first. You know, silly things like that. Right. It was fun. You know, eventually Z-Man picked up it. Better than the little spinner that you flick on the table with the little finger that points. It was it's it was an innovative thing in this time, you know. Yeah. I, I remember having start player at the table going, "Okay, who's got the most holes in their belt?" You know, or whatever yeah, that yeah, card yeah. said. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, so that was fun, and you know that was relatively inexpensive. And I printed I printed the cards myself actually uh, for that first set. I actually have a at the time I had a, a pretty good you know graphics printer because again you know working at Adobe and you know knowing my graphics stuff I had just kind of a high end printer. So I could print double-sided stuff that looked very, very close to offset print quality. So I printed all the cards myself. Uh, I got the boxes printed locally. I manually assembled all the boxes and the cards, um, cut the cards, thousands and thousands of cards. Uh, that was not as much fun as I thought it might be. <laughs> after, after 10, 20,000 cards, I don't know, it gets a little old. Um, and uh, right after that, because clearly I didn't have enough, uh, is when I released uh, the white box edition of Ultimate Werewolf. And uh, that was, again, something I did entirely, you know, all self-produced. In fact, that one, I bought, like, these super, super cheap flimsy boxes, and I basically put stickers on them. And I made 800 copies of that. I think there's, like, 50 cards in each box. And so that was, like, 40,000 cards that I cut manually, um, which, again, not as much fun as it sounds. Um, And at that point, I realized, hey, maybe I should actually get these printed for real. Uh, and so uh, then I talked to some printers. Um, I had been publishing some Age of Steam expansion maps too at that time, and uh, got got some of the Age of Steam uh, maps, the new ones I was doing, printed on actual real game boards, and uh, turned Ultimate Werewolf into an actual real game with real cards and real art. And uh, just uh, after that, just things just kind of kept on going, and uh, here I am today. We've got you know. Our, our wonderful little company. We have a whole bunch of full-time employees. Um, it's my only job right now, which is fantastic. Best job I've ever had. Um, so, you know, it, it, it all worked out very nicely. Certainly unexpected. Could not have expected this uh, 15, 20 years ago. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny to hear you talk about the Days of Wonder back circa, I don't know what, 2004, 2005, Mm -hmm. when they were putting out stuff that was like head and shoulders above the rest of the people in the industry. Like we had like, you could get these cereal box games basically that like came on like that, like cheap, thin, like cardboard. And then Days of Wonder, which had like, whoa, there's plastic figurines in this box like it was a it was a whole step above so to hear that they were in a little dumpy like uh office space it's pretty pretty funny man we've come a long way in this industry for sure and i think yeah you you're showing that you were a pioneer really i'm i mean uh from self-assembling now what i'm sure are the kind of collector's items really to to where you're at now and boy there's just been some really great things that you guys have released in the last in the last few years um, for me, I, I became familiar with your work. I mean, I think probably like a lot of us did with Suburbia. Uh, I remember being at a board game meetup and seeing some of the gamers that I just really respected their opinion on things. And they were playing this game with a, a, a triangle and then a bunch of hexes on it. And it was just such a clean design. And just the way how all those hexes uh, interacted with each other. I thought, man, this is this is a really clever design. And I actually went out and blind bought a copy. And that's, I think, the first game of yours I ever played. Uh, and then I actually got You Suck like right after that because um, I just love trick-taking games. And I, I guess we can talk about that one in a second. But uh, Suburbia, to me, I think is really a great story to tell for people who are designing games to not be afraid to kind of go back to the drawing board and kind of, I mean, I've heard a little of the story on it that basically it, it was something that you almost entirely overhauled, it sounded like, at one point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've been working on what turned out to be Suburbia for two or three years, probably. It was in various stages of development. Um, And, you know, it was, you know, as as you can tell from, you know, how it turned out, it was definitely directly inspired from SimCity. Love SimCity, played countless, countless hours of SimCity, all the different variations, even even the, the last one that came out, which is sad. Um, but, uh, but played them all, loved it, would love to have a board game experience that kind of had that sort of feel to it. And so that was, that was really my goal in working on that, that game. And, uh, it was originally square tiles because that's kind of what Sim City was. It was very square. There was the right. uh, concept of hexes really never entered my mind for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a shared board, everyone was building different parts and you had markers on them. Um, just all sorts of things were different and, uh, you know, things were not working quite well. I put it aside for, I'm not sure exactly how long anymore, probably half a year to a year. And when I got it out again, uh, at that point, things just hit me as in, oh, the, the hex thing, which again, doesn't seem like it's a big jump, but it was, it was yeah. actually a huge jump, totally changed the feel and the way the game played and, uh, allowed you to have so much more interactivity between, uh, the, the different tiles and the, the adjacency was so much more valuable because now you had six pot, pot, potential tiles that could be adjacent to each tile. Um, that and a whole bunch of other changes. And, you know, it went through a lot of development. Um, you know, it was it was about, uh, well, I don't know, maybe not even a year off from, from being published. And it, there were no goals in the game. And it, I felt it was missing something, but I didn't know what. And I, I did some uh, play testing with Kevin Wilson, who you might know from all of his amazing designs, from, mostly from Fantasy Flight. And yeah. uh, he mentioned, you know, what about you know have, giving each player some secret objectives? And it's a little hesitant at first because uh, you know a lot of games that had those, they kind of a lot of times were unbalanced, and they they didn't really feel you know like it, it just seemed like at the end like aha I get an extra thousand points because I did this and you didn't know I was doing this and now I win. And that just seemed kind of eh, icky, um, but um, I basically took that that kernel that that he that he 
basically offered there and turn that into goals, which you, then you have a combination of these public goals. You only have one private goal and the private goals, it's important, but the public goals are actually just almost as important because they're taking points away from your opponents as well as giving you points. And, uh, you know, a whole variety of them and the, the point spread on them isn't too broad. It's from 10 to 20 points. So it's not, not huge uh, one way or the other. Um, and a lot of times throughout the game, if you're really paying attention, I would say that at least 75% of the time, I can tell what my opponent's secret goals are. Um, the 25% that I can't, it's usually because they've given up. You know, they're like, oh, I'm never going to have the fewest this because he's not buying any. So what the hell? I'm just going to buy them all. Um, so a lot of things, little things like that. Um, and that was just a long, long time of development with that um, until it finally felt it was done. Um, and that's, you know, any definitely words of advice to any board game designer is, um, you know, keep, keep playing, keep playing with people. If it doesn't feel quite right, don't go, well, that's good enough. Um, you know, put it aside maybe and, and come back to it, you know, with kind of a fresh perspective and, a lot of times you'll come up with some really unique ideas. I've done that with several different designs, you know, just by putting them aside, whether it's a couple of days or, you know, several months. And when you come back to it, you know, suddenly you're like, oh, you know, because you're, you're so, you know, in, in the trees sorts of thing that you can't see the, the forest sort of, sort of thing. And uh, it was really, really helpful to take that break and uh, became a much better game as a result. That's fantastic. Uh and you, you talked about the development of that game, but then also inside of that, you even mentioned like it hit you. And I always think it's really interesting that some designers seem to have this, this idea and they kind of like keep, keep like grinding away at it and like shaping it and making it into the final product. And then there's other people who I think have had games come to them like a lightning strike yeah. and they're like, oh, here's the finished game in my head. What, which way does it typically go for you? I mean, is there is there a lightning strike game you can think of off the top of your head? I mean, I don't I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, there's no lightning strike games. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> a long process. So, uh, you know, I think one of the the, the more famous of the lightning strike games, um, Alan Moon um, has often said that he pretty much came up with Ticket to Ride while walking on the beach, came back, put it together, and it was 95% there, you know, on his first try, which is awesome and amazing. And I kind of hate him a little bit for that <laughs> um, because it is, you know, for me, it's got a cool idea. You know, there's, there's a project I'm working on right now and, you know, I, I like what it's doing. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, but boy, I know, you know, as much as I'd love to say, hey, it's done. There's no way. It's not even close. There's going to be adding stuff. There's going to be removing a whole bunch of stuff. There's going to be modifying things. I know that has to happen for the game to get as good as possible uh, when I'm working on it. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm basically settle myself in for a long, long road of development and changes and playtesting and, uh, you know, trying to figure things out. So, yep, it's it. No lightning strike. The game Silver uh, is on my radar right now. I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit. And uh, some people listening to this podcast probably have never heard of the Silver series now or or of Silver at all. Um, do you want to go ahead and give your elevator pitch on it or, or uh, talk about it for a minute here? Sure, sure. So Silver is a game, you can call it kind of a point shedding or card shedding game where you're trying to have the lowest score. You end up, you start with five face down cards. They all have different values on them. The different values thematically represent the number of werewolves that are being attracted to your village, which is the totality of the cards that are face down in front of you. And each turn you're drawing from the deck or the discard pile possibly and exchanging lower valued cards for higher valued ones. That's the basic idea, but really what it comes down to is that every card has its own special ability. 
And some of those you can use right when you draw them off the deck. Other ones you can only use when they're face up in front of you um, as, in, as part of your village. And you also have the ability to change matching cards in front of you. Um, part of the, the trick, though, is that when it starts out, you only know two of your five cards. Right. And uh, it is possible for other people to occasionally give you cards that you don't know what they are, give you some face down cards, which is a little surprising, disconcerting. But there's tools and abilities that let you look at cards. So um, you have all of these different abilities and you're, you're just basically trying to have the lowest sum before everyone else. At some point, if you think you have the lowest sum, you can call for a vote and everyone else gets one turn and then everyone flips up their cards. If you do have the lowest sum, you get zero. Uh, everyone else gets the total of their cards. Um, if nobody calls, you just run the deck out and then everyone just gets the sum of their cards. And then you play four rounds. And after the four rounds, whoever has the total lowest score wins. Yeah, the, the voting thing is really cool in this game. I really like that, that it's like you're rewarded by not getting any points, but then you get punished because if you aren't the lowest points, all of a sudden you take on 10 points, which is oh, kind yeah. of a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so it's a big risk reward on that. And then the thing I really like about this game is I really love playing the deduction secret identity type games out there, uh, you know, uh, a lot of your games and, and then just all the different, you know, Hail Hydra and things like that. And to get those games really to like pop, you need six, eight, 10, 12 people to play them. And with, with silver, I could play that with two players and it felt a little bit like those games because you have these five things in front of you that you're trying to figure out, by trying to manipulate these powers and figure out, okay, if I do this with this card, then I know I can see this card to really understand what I have in front of me. And I know what this card is, but they don't, you know? And I mean, just really a neat, it's almost like a, a 1v1 social deduction game at times, it feels like. Uh, just a really neat game. I'm really enjoying it, honestly. And I think I think you're going to have a big hit with it, honestly, because it's just so different than anything else I've ever played, too. Uh, oh, when did great. you start development on that game? Um, it's been in development for, uh, I guess now it's about, about a year and a half um, that it's been in development for. Um, it's funny, we, uh, you know, we grabbed, uh, I actually have a designer diary that will be up on VGG by the time people can see this so they can read more in depth about it. But um, I was introduced to the whole mechanic of the card shedding, point shedding thing through Cabo, uh, which is a game that's also mm. similar to Golf and Ratatat Cat. And there's just a few other games that are like that out there that have that same basic idea. They're trying to get rid of cards. Um, you know, you, you only know so much about what cards you have and uh, played a lot of that, uh, found out it wasn't being printed anymore. Um, the more I played it, the more, you know, there were some shortcomings in terms of for a gamer, like a, you know, if you're a gamer, you want to be able to do stuff. And a lot of times on a Cabo turn, it's right. just a card. You go, no, that's not good enough. And you got to discard it. And then you just wait for your next turn. And, uh, you know, to me, I'm thinking, well, geez, some of the cards had special abilities. Why don't all of them? And, you know, what, what other things could you possibly do with this to make it interesting? And, Wow. Uh, as soon as I started down that path, um, the the game changed from this this cute little Cabo variant, um, possibly, to its own thing. And, uh, you know, it's we have right now, there are more than 100 uh, unpublished special ability cards that we have kind of waiting in the wings um, outside of wow. these first two games, Silver and Silver Bullet, which each have 14 of their own special abilities. Um, so we're working on the next one, the series, which will be out, um, hopefully earlier to mid next year, and then maybe one or two more after that next year. And, uh, you know, each one is going to have its own special little thing. Like the, the first game silver has a silver amulet and that amulet, yeah. if you call and you're successful, you get to put that on a card on your next round to protect it. So if you have a zero or a one or something that's face up and you don't want anyone to steal it or mess with it, you can 
pop that on there and then it's protected from everybody else. The second game, Silver Bullet, has, as you'd expect, a silver bullet. And that kind of does the opposite. That actually kills a card. And uh, so if someone gives you a really high card, one of the cards in, in Silver Bullet is a gremlin, which is a 12. And when you turn it over, the power of the gremlin is to be able to give the gremlin to anyone, and they don't get to discard a card. They just get the gremlin. So it's an extra card. So they could have six cards. One of them is a face-up 12, which is really annoying. But if you have the Silver right. Bullet, you can pop it right down there on that 12 and not worry about it. Um, so... <laughs> 12 is a lot of points in this game, too. You don't want that for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so a bunch of fun things like that. And each of the games going forward has the, has a new silver token, basically. And they have their own special ability. And they're really, really fun. Um, you know, we've developed them all the way up through the, I guess, the F deck at this point. And we're, we're testing the C, D, E, and F decks right now in various capacities. Um, and uh, so... Really enjoy working on this. I mean, this has been so much fun to develop, and um, it's, a, it's a lot of work um, getting it exactly right, getting the right mix for each of these decks. But boy, it's so much fun, and the fact that people can then go and combine any way they went to, and they can pull the cards from one set and you know combine them with cards from another set. That's going to be really, really cool. I think people are going to really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think the thing about this game uh, is that the first time you're going to play it as a player, and this has been my experience at least you don't quite understand how it's really even a game. You're like, I only get a look at two of my cards and then I only have these three choices. That doesn't feel like I can do much. And then the game starts to like unfold a little in front of you. And it's like, you can't explain the experience without playing it. And the rounds play so quick. It, I'd really encourage people to play a couple rounds of this to really get a good feel for it. Because the second time you play it, you start saying, okay, I understand how the game works. You get that kind of light bulb of, okay, this is kind of neat. Then the second play, you start saying, Okay, so so the so the twos and the fours they work together well, and they help me get rid of the thirteens or whatever, you know. I yeah. mean, so you start understanding how the synergies between the cards work, and then the thing that blows me away is this: I feel like I've got a pretty good feel for the base set, and I sit down to play with a different player count, and all of a sudden the game's really different. And then I also go to play with different people, and I they're doing things with the cards that I've never even thought to do. So it's just it's a playground of a lot of fun to do. Uh, so I'm excited to hear there's so many sets of this coming out. That'll be crazy. And and then you also include rules on substitutions. So it's going to eventually be like kind of uh, I don't know like Dominion or something kind of thing where you pick your sets, you pick your numbers, and can kind of mix and match. I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, the the boxes have a special game trays designed super awesome insert that you can basically put all the cards in there. So you can put like the zeros, the ones, the twos, all in their own little bins. So you can pull them out real easily and combine them with the same with the other numbers from other sets. And the, the basic rule for combining anything is you just take one or, you know, whichever numbers out of one set and you replace them with numbers, the same numbers from another set. And, you know, you could do that for as many sets as you have. And, you know, one of the things we, we have rules basically that are for each of these, these numbers and how they work so that you're never going to have a, a set that is, you know, a crazy, chaotic, <laughs> insane, take that set. Instead, it's okay. You, you might have a little stronger powers over there. You might have some stronger uh, abilities to look at cards in this set. But for the most part, you're going to have a nice variety of those cards. And they're, they're set up in these different categories, which people will start to see the patterns of once once the Silver Bullet comes out and then the, the next couple of games. You want to talk about replayability, too. I mean, they say that if you shuffle a deck of 52 cards, like I think three times, the odds are that you have created a permutation that like that has never been created ever in the universe. So like you get 110 of these sets out and start 
matching them up, boy, there's a lot of replayability there. Uh, and then even if you have the guides to kind of say, hey, this is kind of a broken combo, don't play with this or, or whatever, you're still going to have a ton of combinations in this. So I, it sounds really cool. It, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ted. Uh, we're looking at Gen Con for silver. Yes. And then mm-hmm. SN for silver bullet. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I, I really am enjoying it. It's it's a lot of fun, uh, and it plays well at two, three, four. So I think it's just it's really a lot of fun. Uh, and, and I have a lot of opportunities to play with two, and it's done really well with two even. So uh, and I, you can't say that about a lot of games. So I really have enjoyed it. Uh, so this is a kind of a different question here for you. What project of yours are you the most proud of, I guess? Like what, what do you want people to say, uh, you know, 40 years from now or something? Oh, man, this, this game – was like your opus. What what is that? So I would have. So well, first before before I do, let me let me preface this, and, and I'll I'll do this, which sounds um, very very vain. But um, one thing that's always always uh, surprised me um, before I was a game designer was listening to a couple things that Reiner Knizia said. One of the things that he, when people ask him what's his favorite game, and of course you know I can rattle off ten of the ten of my favorite Knizia games, and maybe even sort them at some point and say this is definitely my favorite from Tigris and Euphrates, Medici, and Rod, yeah. and all those other wonderful games he's done. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, the problem is that whatever he's working on is his current favorite, which I can totally relate to, which is it's really hard to step back and kind of look, you know, because you're saying like you like you suck. And I think you suck is super fun. I wouldn't have published it. Um, you know, it, it it actually did fairly well in testing, but it's a trick taking game and those don't sell that great anyway. But, uh, you know. When I look back over everything, you know, trying to be as objective as possible, you know, I'm thinking that probably Suburbia, even more so than Castles or uh, One Night Ultimate Werewolf or some of the other games that might have even sold more than Suburbia. But Suburbia, to me, is probably the thing that I am the, the proudest of, that I'm just so happy how it came together. And it was, you know, kind of my first big, real big box game that uh, I, I designed and published. And, uh, you know working on the collector's edition over the last couple of years was really kind of exciting getting back into the game and, uh, you know, just play. And I'm, I'm really, I'm enjoying playing even the base game with the new tiles because the new tile yeah. is awesome art and everything. Um, so I am, I'm super, super proud of that. Um, you know, so rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens over time. Um, you know, how, how things shake out and, uh, you know, uh, one night and where words have both done, you know, extra and, incredibly well much better than i would have expected um so you know though they certainly one night um and and now where words i guess uh just they've they've gotten you know recognition and sales and awards and things and uh that i would not have expected um but uh you know i'm i'm very very proud of those too so it's it's you know kind of like a parent asking to choose between their children you know i have two children and sure i like them both but maybe i like one better than the other <laughs> They're not going to listen to this, hopefully. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, I'll, I'll pretend like I'll edit that out, but it's definitely staying in. Uh, very cool. So, you say your current project kind of is your favorite, but Suburbia, if you're going to be more objective, yeah. What? So, Silver, we talked about, and that's obviously occupying a lot of your effort and time right now. Is there anything you want to talk to us about or mention that might be coming? down the road or any hints or anything that's that's sure um you know we've, we've talked about this a little bit i think people are you know we we work on werewolf stuff all the time um our our ultimate werewolf game we have some really interesting things that we're going to be doing for that um you know that that has been you know that's kind of one of the cornerstones of our company and 
Um, it has every year it sells more and more copies, which is amazing. Um, and you know, it's still, you know, the number one big group party game, you know, the conventions and places like mm, that. Yeah. And, uh, so we're doing some super, super exciting things there. I can't give out details because things might change, but right now, um, that is something that I'm looking for probably not 2020, but 2021 that, uh, you know, we're going to be able to share some really, really neat things, some, some cool, innovative stuff there and, uh, kind of a, a new perspective with that game. So that's that's pretty exciting. I'll I'll get with your marketing person and, and book you for 2021 to get interviewed okay. again. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So one last thing I want to actually I want to ask you a stupid question too because I kind of usually end my interviews with just something stupid. You know, you got to end with something oh, stupid. Sure. So so uh, the last serious thing is you guys have as a company, especially as small as you've been. I mean, like you're a growing company and you're and you're pretty large now. But back when it was just like suburbia and and you know like you weren't as big of a company, you guys had one of the best iOS apps in suburbia way back early, it felt like. And then now with your one night games, you have an incredible app that you guys integrate with your game uh, that makes it just so smooth (laughs) to play that. Um, What do you see happening? I mean, you guys have been an innovator, I guess, throughout uh, in your company. And and then even doing the innovation of of doing a collab with another company uh, with, with doing Between Two Castles, which is a fantastic game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is great. Yeah. And, and and just doing a collab though with with uh, Stonemeyer, I mean that's brave. So I mean, like, what do you think we're going to see in the industry, whether it's technology or what kind of trends do you think you we're going to see as gamers in the next four or five years? So I, I definitely see, you know, the the app stuff. Um, as as long as people are treating it correctly, I mean, there's there's games like XCOM that are basically app based, or uh, Alchemist that Check Games put out that's kind yeah. of really requires the app or it doesn't work. And, you know, in some cases that's okay, but if it's too focused on the app, I think that's a problem Um, because, you know, in a way I think of apps as really just another tool like dice or, you know, cardboard cutouts or really anything, um, you know, that's that you would put in a game. It just happens to not be a physical component and, you know, treating it that way and treating it as just something else. It's, It's another, it's another component. I mean, not a physical one, but it's another component for the game. Um, you know, you have to budget for it and you figure out, you know, what's the appropriate amount of integration for for one night. It's it's actually entirely not necessary. Well, for Alien it is, but most of the, the, the titles it's not. And, um, you know, it just enhances the experience. For WearWords, it's pretty much required. Um, the German version of WearWords actually included a, a interesting way to be able to run it without the app. But I, <laughs> from what I've heard, nobody really uses that. They all use the app. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, again, it just makes the game better. You know, putting right. like a plastic sand timer in a game certainly does not seem to make any sense to me. Um, you know, I've been working, you know, I've lived in Silicon Valley for 20 years. And so I'm a little jaded that way, I suppose. But, you know, it seems like something that could be very, very easily replaced. That's, that's really kind of a, not a good component um, when you can replace that with something that everyone has. Everyone has a phone. You can, you know, it's really not that much effort to make a, a right. fancy timer that works well with your game. Um, it seems like that, that would be a good idea. And for people to take advantage of that is, is a good thing. Um, you know, the, the biggest concern, like I said, I have about that is people focusing too much on the technology and really building something around what can be done in technology, because that does not seem like it tends to go over well. Now that could change in the future, but for the most part, um, you know, there haven't been a lot of games that are so focused on, um, you know, some sort of app 
that have been really, really successful by themselves. And, you know, I, I'd love to see that change, but at the same time, you know, I, I like the idea of people, you know, building out apps as, as helpers and, and making basically the app, the, the gaming experience richer and better as a result. Yeah, there's no substitution for good gameplay, for sure. Uh, like my own example is I, I was gifted an Oculus Rift, and my favorite thing to do on it is play Tabletop Simulator. So like <laughs> you're just playing board games, you know? I mean, and it's actually crazy that you get probably 85% of the board gaming experience with Tabletop Simulator. But uh, yeah, so I always end with the dumb question, like I said. Uh, my dumb question for you is going to be this. I, I just gifted you an elephant, and you're not allowed to sell it. What are you doing with the elephant? I'm not allowed to sell it. All right. Yep. You've uh, got to keep the elephant. Um, wow. I guess, I guess the wrong answer is to uh, sell the tusks because uh, that's only part of the <laughs> element and people would that is the wrong with answer. that. So I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's room to have, and we have a big yard, so I'd, I'd be fine keeping it as a pet. Uh, well, cool. That's yeah. the right answer. Yeah, that's that's certainly. I mean, we have we have indoor pets right now, but it'd be nice to have an outdoor pet. Elephants are a little smelly, um, but we have yeah, a big yard. Yeah. Maybe you know we might keep them down to a different part of the yard, so it's not too close. At least downwind from the house. Um, but uh, yeah, sure. I would I would say an elephant could actually be a fun pet. I mean, you, you can train element elephants to ride them, which would be kind of cool. Um, they yeah. seem, they seem really friendly. For the most part, you don't. You, see you can rid them out, yeah, to like pull trees out of neighbors' yards and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, or even out of our own yard, possibly. That's uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I would say keep as a pet, um, probably. There you uh, go. You know, I I would be in, in general. It's probably not a nice thing to do to gift someone a pet at all. And an elephant is probably towards the top of the list of things you probably shouldn't yeah. gift someone. So I think that's a bad idea. But if I was stuck with an elephant, it wouldn't be a terrible thing. It would just be. It would be very interesting to have a, a friendly elephant. I, I would I'd say, you know, if you've had horses and things like that before and, you know, just big animals, they're they're just big animals. So uh, I'm assuming that elephants are kind of like that. You're not going to have them curl up on your lap while you're watching TV, but yeah, they're kind of nice. You heard, you heard it here first, guys. Look for the live elephant at the uh, Bezier booth at Gen Con. Uh, They'll be giving free elephant rides. That'll be kind of cool. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, actually turn into a profit center. (laughs) Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, Thanks so much for your time. Is there anything else you'd want to mention before we go? No, I I think we've covered all sorts of stuff there. It was great to have, have me on here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was great having you. You, uh, you give us a nice, nice glimpse of your story and, and definitely look for silver. I, I fully recommend it, and I'm sure you do too, because it's your newest baby. But uh, it's been a lot of fun for me. So thanks for coming on to talk about that and some other things, and uh, we'll see you at Gen Con. All right. Thank you. Uh, Jason, so that's that's Ted Altsbach. And I really didn't, didn't know a whole lot about him personally before this interview. He's a really nice guy, uh, just really easygoing, fun to talk to. Uh, and I think his story about perseverance and just pushing and doing the whole board game publishing and designing is just really inspirational to people who want to get through in the business here. So I hope you guys enjoyed uh, hearing him talk. Um, it was really fun to talk to him. He was really gracious and great. Um, and I think, Jason, are we able to cancel our uh, gift elephant that is being sent to his house or is that already uh, it might already be there by the time the episode drops so <laughs> we can check sorry ted uh <laughs> the other fun thing that happened in that interview was when i kept saying we'll get to you suck later i'll talk about it later and then i never did um i just want to give you guys a quick like one second thing on it it's a trick-taking game so trick-taking games 
aren't super popular. I mean, it just feels like they're not anything new. They've been around forever, and you probably played them when you were a kid with your grandma kind of thing, you know? Um, but this is one that if I've played with a group and they really like clubs or euchre or something like that, this one I tend to get out as a next thing because it's a trick-taking game, but it's got like kind of a cool twist to it. It's actually a tick-taking game. Haha, <laughs> clever, because ticks suck blood and the game's called You Suck. Um, but you have these little ticks that are like on the board that have like slight powers that you can have and you win the tricks there different ways. And the way how it works is you take turns playing a card down. But it's like there's like five hands of trick-taking happening simultaneously. And there's different ways to win each of the hands, basically. And then if you win those hands, you get something to happen for you. And all the while, you're bidding on which on how many your tricks you're going to win. So um, it's got a lot of cool things going on with it for a trick-taking game. It's probably my favorite trick-taking game, to be honest. Um, because it's just it's, – it's crazy. Like it's got a ton of things going on at once. Um, and it's really engaging. So that's, that's from Ted Osbach and one that you probably haven't played. Um, but it's called you suck and it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool. Actually, I think the only game I've ever played of his is castles of Mad King Ludwig. Suburbia? No suburbia. No, I haven't played suburbia. Oh man. I think you like suburbia better than castles for sure. Yeah. That's what people have been saying, but I don't know. I really like building the castle and making it look weird. That's kind of fun. Yeah. That, I mean, it is really pretty, but like suburbia is the more like pure game. Like, I think suburbia is like the like buttoned up businessman of the of the of the Alspach tile games, and like I don't know, like uh, castles of Mad King Ludwig is the fun uncle. So, and and palaces of Mad King or the palace of Mad King Ludwig is the uh, is the kid that like I don't know. They don't like go out in the yard and play. I don't know. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's too bad because it's a fun game. All right. Well, uh, if we don't, I mean, I'm guessing we'll have an episode next week. Um, if we don't, it was a little too hot this week. And uh, <laughs> so um, I've been Joel and keep gaming, even if you don't have the inspiration from me to keep going. And I'm Jason. Keep gaming. Nice.